independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Why is this not more fun? You know, this is amazing. We're talking about saving the world. We're talking about how we can be better people, how we can improve our own lives. Like this needs to be enjoyable for people. How can we bring more fun into sustainability so we can draw more people into the space? To inspire greater awareness and action, how can in-person events move people in ways that our online world just can't? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already signed up to our podcast weekly highlights, just a quick reminder that you can do so at greendreamer.com. The next one is going out this Sunday, and I look forward to connecting with you there. And now to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is a marketer, event organizer, and avid connector of conscious individuals and brands. She's the founder of The Wedge Asia, a leading platform that connects conscious brands with conscious people through a series of events. And she's also the co-founder of Singapore's Green is the New Black, which is Asia's first conscious festival for people who want to live more consciously by improving the way they think, work, and consume while doing more good for the world. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because she is a wealth of wisdom when it comes to how to bring people together through events and how to make sustainability more engaging for more people to feel welcome to participate. Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired her passion for the environment, here's Stephanie Dixon. So, I mean... I grew up in a family. My mom is sort of a lifelong vegetarian and also holistic energy practitioner. So I kind of grew up with a little bit of this mindset already. Um, but I always had this passion to get into fashion as a child. So when I graduated from university, I moved back to Singapore and I actually started working in the fashion industry. So I was planning large scale fashion and festivals around Asia and Singapore and Vietnam and Bangkok. And it was absolutely my dream job. I was meeting all these incredible couture designers from France that we were bringing over Asian couture designers. I was literally like living my dream. And then all of a sudden I started discovering and watching a lot of documentaries and just having this kind of yearning and, and being sort of drawn to all this information and discovered that, you know, fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world. It's one of the most socially corrupt industries in the world. 
And I felt completely blindsided. And I, here I was like living what I thought was my dream and on the path that I'd worked really, really hard to get myself on only to realize that actually I'm playing a massive part of the problem in this industry. And I just kind of had like what I refer to as like a matrix moment. I absolutely love that film. It's like my favorite <laughs> film. So I kind of had this moment where I felt completely blindsided. I was kind of had this point where I felt like I was presented like a blue pill or a red pill, you know, so blue pill was like, you know, ignore this feeling inside, ignore all this information that was coming at me and just kind of keep going on this path that I was like, yes, you know, this is my dream. I want to work in fashion. Or I could kind of take this red pill and plunge into this deep rabbit hole that I had no idea where I would end up going, but actually, you know, face the reality and understand the real truth that I guess had been hidden behind this glossy curtain of like the fashion industry. So that's really, I think, where my real sustainability journey kind of started. You know, I quit my job. Originally, I was like, I'm going to start like a, a sustainable a swimmer line because I love the beach. And like that totally makes sense to me. Um, but at the time, I realized like I don't have any understanding about, you know, manufacturing. And that's like a whole nother learning curve. Uh, and I totally did not have enough patience to sew. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was like, OK, this is not going to work. And then I said, OK. And I started doing a lot more research, watching a lot more documentaries and, you know, then started discovering brands who I felt like I could trust. You know, they were very transparent about where their things were coming from. They were ethically produced. They were reducing the impact on the planet. And I started wearing these really interesting things and, and kind of sharing the stories with people and then realized that actually people were really interested in discovering these brands and connecting on a deeper level. But this is a few years ago, you know, there was still that hesitancy to buy stuff online. If you didn't, if it wasn't really cheap or it wasn't like, you know, a brand that someone would know, it was difficult for um, people to kind of make that jump to invest in a, in a product that was at a medium price range. So I thought, okay, I am an event person. Let me put together a really cool event where we can bring all the founders of these incredible companies together and we can do some kind of talks to help people to navigate through this world. I'm sure there's other people that were struggling like I was because I couldn't really find a space either that was sort of welcoming and exciting. You know, the spaces, the the eco groups at the time were kind of preachy or kind of um, very hippie. And I had just come from fashion. So I was like, no, that's not going to do. <laughs> um, and so I started, yeah, I came up with the idea for Green is a New Black as like a, a conscious festival where brands come, people come, and it's just like a really fun space, you know, great healthy uh, food and live music and cool talks and make it really cool and sexy. And so that's really where I started with the whole journey. And so since then, you know, that was in 2015, we've had three massive festivals in Singapore. We then took our festival to Hong Kong earlier this year, had like four and a half thousand people come, which is just so humbling and exciting that the movement is just growing. There's so many more people that want to have this kind of conversation. Um, We introduced like an entire day of, or now two days of talks as well. And like in Hong Kong, we did like a business forum on um, circular economy, which is super exciting. Um, And looking at how to make business circular with like our unconference. And uh, now, yeah, we've also like launched a media platform as well to kind of support that. So, yeah, I think and my own personal journey along the way has has also evolved massively. And we have, as a festival has evolved. You know, I always talk about we're a work in progress and we're also getting better every year and learning every year from the amazing speakers we're bringing in and the communities that we're working with. And yeah. 
For sure. Well, this is so inspiring to hear about. Um, and speaking of this being a work in progress, what do you think has been your greatest challenge establishing this as um, the first Conscious Lifestyle Festival in Asia? Yeah, I mean, when I think about my challenges, the biggest challenge that I've always faced is myself. <laughs> because I've like, always put so much pressure on myself. And in the beginning, when I started, I was really impatient for us to get to like a certain level. Obviously, I've been planning like these world class fashion festivals for years, and I kind of got used to a certain level of, um, you know, execution and uh, of like buzz and stuff. And so I was very impatient. And I had a very unrealistic expectations as most young budding entrepreneurs I think can relate to um so I had very very high standards I think you know I've I'm like an eldest sister an ex-event organizer still now but a type personality so I think you know in the beginning it was very very difficult for me to not want to do everything so I had to I, I you know managed to get myself into like burnout and and overwhelm all the time which you know for someone that's in this space it's kind of it was, it was very difficult for me because I'm like, oh my gosh, like here I am like talking about conscious living and how we need to be better. And then I'm burning myself out. And because I just care so much about furthering this mission and it was a little, you know, so I think I really had to learn to be kinder to myself and learn to enjoy the journey and actually celebrate the wins and realize that, you know, all the small changes make a huge difference. Um, and just, you know, refocusing and being like, okay, yeah, I'm a social entrepreneur and I care about people. I care about the planet. I care about profit as well. And so, you know, I need to, to keep that in mind. So that was a massive challenge for me. And then I think business wise, it's always, you know, dealing with the pivots and the refocuses. So having, you know, taking these big decisions to be like, okay, wow, we're now not going to do that. We're going to do this. Um, and kind of, you know, just be okay with that. And now I kind of love it when, when we get those downloads or get those like really solid gut feelings to be like, yes, this is the direction we're going to go in now. And just kind of learning to be okay with the fact that things are fluid and, you know, you have to refocus and you have to keep pivoting um, yeah. as, as, as you grow. For sure. And I feel like as creatives and entrepreneurs, we just have a lot of ideas that we want to test out. In your experience, what do you do to determine what, what to test out and when it's time to pivot and let something go? Yeah. I mean, I think over the years, I've just had to learn how to read my gut and intuition more. I mean, when I was starting, you know, there was this feeling inside of me sometimes and I couldn't really identify what it was. And I would just, I would let my mind take over and justify that, no, this is the right thing to do because of X, Y, Z. And then just ignore this kind of feeling inside. And then it would always backfire. And so sooner or later, you kind of realize like, actually, sometimes your gut is a lot more powerful than you think. And you have to just kind of, follow that even though your thinking mind is like coming up with a million reasons why that's wrong you just kind of have to flow with what you're feeling and you know what's right so it's been very difficult for me to kind of you know quiet my mind down to tune into how I'm actually feeling about things and and it's a work in progress massively I mean I'm three and a half years into this journey and I'm still learning how to tune into what I'm feeling inside so that's like a massive thing for me I always do my best to come back to that and then the other thing is you just analyze how it's going, you know? So we were originally going to look into doing like an e-commerce site 
And we spent like five weeks planning to do this e-commerce site. And then one day I was like, I don't think we should do this. And my business partner was like, um, I'm sorry, what? We just spent <laughs> like five weeks planning this and we we're like redoing our website to be e-commerce. And now you're just like, no, we're not doing it. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I just have this feeling. I, I don't think this is the right thing for us. And I think we should go in this direction instead. And luckily she, you know, trusted me and was like, you're crazy. But if that's, if you're getting this massive, strong feeling, it was like one of those things where I woke up at like three in the morning and was like, no, this is not going to work. (laughs) So trust Um, your gut, trust yourself. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, the only thing that's coming up to me right now for that answer. Yeah, for sure. So Green is a New Black event happened in Hong Kong this past April. What's something you learned from this past event that shifted your perspective on sustainability? There's so many great things that really came up. I mean, a lot of it is also, you know, reiterating and reinforcing some of the messages that you're reading and that you're hearing as well. For our Conscious Festival, we have like the marketplace, but then we also have a series of talks. And as I said, the unconference. So through that, we have like kind of four key topics that we looked at. So one of them is like this idea of making business circular. So for that piece, it was really exciting um, to see how well the audience was receiving information from these big brands um, and also small brands, of course. But for example, like H&M was sharing about their commitments to become a fully circular company and all the things they're doing to work work towards that. And I was very curious to see how people were going to react because as you know, H&M, you know, they get a bit of a bad rap um, publicly. And so I was really like watching the audience and that was actually one of our highest rated talks. And for me, it just reiterated that people are ready to hear about the work in progress that brands are doing. And we say this all the time, like, you know, there's been a lot of brands who have been working behind the scenes, doing all this really great work, but they're so scared to share about it publicly because of backlash or greenwashing. And, you know, it just reiterated that people are ready. People want to hear about the positive things that are happening. And then they want to support your brands. And I could see people's mindsets changing on how they felt with H&M. And sure, maybe they're not going to go and buy them because they still have a long way to go. But at least they were like, wow, okay, we can see that they're really committed to this and that they were happy to share what's working, what's not working. And so I think that like level of authenticity and just sharing like, you know, this is what we've done. This is what's worked. This is what hasn't worked. This is where we're heading is like super important um, moving forward. So that was one big thing. Then we had like our mind track, which is all about the conscious living from inside. So, I mean, conscious living really starts from within. And so the thing that really got reiterated throughout that whole track was this idea of curiosity and tapping back into our inner child. And I thought that was really powerful. I mean, it was really powerful for me to kind of think, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in our rat race, bombardments of notifications, emails, blah, blah, blah. But we're forgetting how to have fun. And so I love this idea of like taking inspiration from the kids in our lives and staying curious, always asking questions, but also remembering that life can be a playground and to have more fun. So that was more on like the the conscious living side. Then we had like our consumption track, which was about zero waste. And uh, we opened up with a talk on eco-anxiety. And this is something I'm really enjoying reading about and thinking about this idea that, you know, once we've reached that awoken kind of matrix point I was talking about, and when you reach that point of no return as, you know, in your journey, you can get to points where you're super overwhelmed and, you know, you want to take on everything. But I think this idea that, you know, remembering we just take little green steps every day, let's celebrate the wins, we can keep moving forward. And if we take action, we can kind of undo that psychological feeling of hopelessness where we feel like we're stuck sometimes. So that was pretty powerful, again, to just think about, 
yes, it's true. Let's just keep moving forward and taking little micro actions. And then, you know, we can get out of our heads. Um, and the final one was about earth. So we looked at, um, eco versus ego and kind of looked at biodiversity and being in Hong Kong, shark's fin was a massive topic. And so one of the speakers shared, like, this is really a global issue that needs to be addressed locally. And that was quite eye opening for me as well. Cause I didn't realize that there was a hundred million sharks that are killed every year. And 90% of Cantonese banqueting companies, um, they still serve shark's fin. So that was a really eye-opening session as well. And they're all very, very passionate about empowering young people um, and kind of talking about like the kids as like mini shark heroes in Hong Kong. So that was really inspiring as well to see the uprise and the movement um, around that uh, happening in Hong Kong. For sure. So lots of key takeaways, it seems like, for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, there's always so many amazing things, but I think there's always, as you say, you know, there's a few key things that stay with you. For sure. And I read a line about the festival itself, and it goes back to bringing fun into the space. It said that this festival is a place where fun and social environmental responsibility go hand in hand. What do you think is the importance of bringing fun into this often very serious space? And what did you do to incorporate this into the festival? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the beginning when I was kind of entering this space, you know, all of the sustainability events at the time that I experienced anyway, were really serious, you know, they, they were really like on the on the hippie end, or they were all like business forums. And I was just like, this is just so intense. And the business <laughs> forums I found really boring. I was like, everyone's talking, no one's taking action. And I was like, and you know, I mean, this is obviously just my experience. I don't, I don't want you know, um, but yeah, I just was like, oh my God, this is like not enjoyable. And as someone that came from fashion and someone that came, you know, that loves having fun. And I was always a party girl. I was always, you know, planning events for my friends. I was like, why is this not more fun? You know, this is amazing. We're talking about saving the world. We're talking about how we can be better people, how we can improve our own lives. Like this needs to be enjoyable for people. And I kind of also wanted to reach out to the audience like, I guess my, you know, in, in my circles and be like, Hey, you can come to this like great event. You can come and eat delicious food and like drink organic wine and drink organic alcohol, um, and listen to some amazing music. And maybe while you're there, you can learn a little bit about sustainability. So it was kind of my way of getting in a whole new crowd and thinking about this in a way that wasn't, you know, preaching, wasn't shaming, wasn't kind of like putting people off, but being super inclusive and welcoming. And for me, that was like, okay, it's got to be fun. Yeah, for sure. So just making the event itself entertaining, people already want to come for the event, but then they get to learn more about it. So by doing it this way, we're really welcoming more people into the dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've been organizing events and experiences for a really long time. What do you think in-person events and experiences can accomplish for sustainability that like the internet and digital world can't do? It's a really, really great question. I think there's two main things I would say to that. Firstly, people need to connect with other people. We are humans. We need that contact. So for me, I think a physical event experience just allows you to connect with other humans and be like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Like there's other, you know, as opposed to like sitting on your laptop, reading about stuff and, you know, <laughs> feeling kind of connected, but maybe not fully connected to people. Like you be in a room with people and just realize people are on the same journey. We have the same issues we have, you know, or similar concerns and passions. And it's just igniting that, but, you know, collectively. And then I think it gives people a lot of strength when that happens. Um, and then the second thing 
I think people also want to connect to the speakers. I think having a physical event and the founders behind the brand. So it's really allowing that, you know, in-person experience. You can feel a lot more when you're sitting in the audience. So there's the connection to people, but then there's also that igniting inside of people where, you know, they they feel much stronger because they're literally listening to someone in person and they're having these epiphanies and these aha moments. And it's just much more powerful in person. Yeah. And it also, I guess, humanizes these corporations or brands. Like you said, people could hear from somebody working at H&M and that humanizes this huge corporation. There are real humans behind the scenes trying to do what they can. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that note, what do you think are essential things to designing meaningful events where people will walk away feeling inspired and activated? Mm, Another great question. Uh, I think for events, there's a couple of things. I think one thing for me in the event organizer side is just making sure that, you know, the event process is really, really smooth and that there are no questions that need to be asked. People have all the information so that they already feel safe and welcomed. Uh, And so for that, it's like making sure they know what time things are starting. They have all the information that they need so they feel comfortable. I mean, we're talking about sustainability. We're talking about, you know, activism in a lot of these levels. So people need to feel safe and that, you know, it's professional and that they feel comfortable in that space so that then they can really open their mind up. So that's like the first piece that I always focus on. The second piece um, is really just making sure that, you know, there's actionable things that people can take away. So for us, we kind of, you know, when I'm designing events, I think about inspiration, I think about knowledge, and I think about action. So knowledge is really to feed, uh, you know, the mind, right? So if they get the knowledge, they're like, okay, this makes sense. I can see the statistics. I can understand this is an expert talking about this. So they feed their mind. The inspiration is the storytelling. It's that excitement. And that really ignites the passion inside. So if we can ignite the passion inside, and then, you know, we've got the brain, he's got the knowledge, and then we give them the action piece, then they're actually empowered to implement this in their life. And so that's, you know, we do like action sheets at the end, um, or we'll kind of create like an action kit that we'll send out to everyone uh, at the end of events. And we always encourage all of our speakers, okay, at the end, please make sure you give some implementable actions that people can take, because then they walk out and they feel empowered, right? They're like, okay, cool, I learned about all this great stuff. I feel really passionate about this now. And now I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And so for us, that's what makes it, you know, what really is a sinker. For sure. I love that you encourage your speakers to always end with that actionable tip. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this. I was born and raised in Taiwan. So Asia has a very special place in my heart, but Mm. I'm not always super updated with sustainability news there. Uh, Can you share one of the biggest challenges you see Asia facing right now? Sure. I I mean, I I can't speak to the whole of Asia. I wouldn't pretend like I have (laughs) that huge depth of information, but I can speak a little bit to my experience in Singapore and Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're kind of seeing right now, and again, I'm not sure how it is, you know, we're in in the States where you are right now. uh, But right now we're seeing a huge, you know, uh, galvanizing of people in the war against plastic. Um, So right now, you know, there's been 
it's, it's been encouraging, but also there's been, you know, a lot of challenges as well. So in Singapore, for example, um, we still don't charge for plastic bags. You know, there's like some fundamental things that have been implemented around the world for years um, and that have worked. You know, there's some amazing case studies of things that have, you know, things around plastic bags that have worked. And in Singapore, we still don't charge for plastic bags. So on World Environment Day, uh, it was actually really exciting because a report came out by the final straw to talk about, you know, also plastic straws, how much we're sucking in Singapore. It's like 2.2 million straws a day. Uh, um, and so, it, it, you know, when you hear the stats like that, it, it helps to, to galvanize more support. Um, we also had like a, a, one of uh, our friends come out with kind of like a petition to say we need to start addressing the plastic bag issue in Singapore. And, you know, she managed to get like 2,000 signatures in like 36 hours or something crazy like that, which was awesome. Um, so we're seeing, you know, there are still so many challenges. You know, you go to restaurants and I'll say like, oh, no, no plastic straw please and my drink's still going to come with a straw and this is something that you know is is felt collectively so i think the plastic issue is a massive thing um but there are some great examples now of people coming up. So, you know, the final straw coming out with that report, then there's hotel chains and restaurant chains who are now banning plastic straws or having straw request policies. So we are seeing change happening. And, and again, I don't know what it is like in the rest of the world at the moment, but we are seeing the change happening. It's just, you know, to get over this, the biggest challenge is really getting all three parts of getting the governments and the businesses and consumers to really work together. And I think from what I'm seeing right now, that's not fully happening in some of these really big issues that we're seeing. So, And what do you think it'll take to bring all of these different roles or players in the game together? I wish I knew. I don't. <laughs> I wish I had the magic answer for that. I think I think it's timing. I think, of course, there are certain groups that are managing to have conversations and to shift the dial. Uh, I think it's timing. I think it's also like what the government's focused on at the moment. Um, so, for example, I have a, a nice story now. Um, Up Two Degrees is a, is a group that formed here in Singapore. Um, basically, our friend Sandra started it and she went to Antarctica and realized she actually literally saw climate change happening in front of her eyes. Mm -hmm. So she came back and realized and started doing a lot of research around aircon, you know, in Singapore, it's like, for those that maybe don't know, um, we're sitting at like 27 to 33 degrees every day, all year round with like hundred percent humidity. So aircon is a massive thing here. So she came back and started doing research and realized that actually our aircons are causing a huge, we have a huge impact in Singapore because of the aircon and all the heat coming out of all the aircon boxes um, and systems. So she decided to have this campaign called Up Two Degrees, where everyone puts their aircons up two degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually managed within, I think, six months to work with the government to pass a new law wow. for buildings, all new buildings in public spaces, the aircon to be set at 23 to 25 degrees um, to basically get the like building environmental certificates. And that was massive. And so seeing that, I was like, okay, this is incredible. It is possible. But I think at the time, you know, the government was working on the BCAs, uh, the build, uh, building environment certifications, and that was like something they were focused on. So it was a perfect timing in that sense. So I think long story short, um, it's timing and focuses. And so when we can hit the right points at the right times, then we're going to see these big shifts happening. For sure. So everything has to align, but we just keep trying and hope the timing will come because it'll kind of come and go. So, yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, throughout all of these years, what are you most proud of having accomplished for sustainability? Oh, that's a really nice question. Uh, I think what am I most proud of? 
I think I'm most proud of the amazing partnerships that we've been able to do and just how exciting, you know, all the grassroots organizations and the companies that we get to work with. I mean, I'm just excited that, you know, we're able to build this connecting platform. And I think the thing that also keeps me going, I guess, is at the end of each event, there's always one or two people that kind of come up to me and they're like, oh my gosh, this was incredible. Like this changed my life. I had no idea about this or like now I'm going to do this. And if that one person comes up to me after, you know, all the blood, sweat and tears that have gone into to us putting these festivals on because our team is really small. Um, so there is a lot of sleepless nights and tears. <laughs> so when that one person comes up and tells me that we've changed their life or they've had this huge epiphany, I'm like, that's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. And that makes all of it worth it. And so that's, I think the moments when I'm most proud is when we see everything coming together, we see thousands of people coming to experience it. And I'm just like, Oh my God, this is so exciting for sustainability. Like I'm so glad we're able to play this connecting role and help people along on their journeys. Yeah. And what do you think you did to not only be able to reach so many people, but also be able to reach people this deeply to the point where they feel like you're changing their perspectives in their lives. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's just because I'm also on this journey myself. So everything that I'm designing, I'm also designing it for myself and the people in my life. And just, you know, I get so inspired myself by these incredible humans that are changing the world. And I'm, you know, putting all of that love and excitement into what we're designing. And I think that just translates, I guess, maybe. And yeah, I don't know if I'm answering that question. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. Well, what's next for you and what's next for Green is the New Black that we can look forward to and support? So we have our fourth Conscious Festival in Singapore coming up in November on the 3rd and 4th. So we're very excited about that. It's our first uh, two-day festival for Singapore. Um, and uh, we've got lots of exciting things happening. So we also roll, we're about to roll out our Little Green Steps kind of program framework um, at the moment where we work really closely with hotels, restaurants and large scale events to basically help them reduce their impacts and move towards more sustainable operations. So individuals can basically also identify who's leading the way, who's making commitments to this and then support those brands. So we're really excited about that. Um, and then, you know, as always, we're always sharing lots of actionable insights on our website uh, and every Every year, so we launched it last year, we have like a Green Warriors uh, kind of awards, I guess, in a sense. So we have our announcement of our second or 2018 Green Warriors, um, who are basically eco heroes around Asia that are really fighting the good fight. Um, So we have 30 uh, warriors that we're going to be celebrating at the November event as well. So that'll come out with like a photo exhibition and then that'll be shared online so everyone can, you know, support those awesome warriors as well. Awesome. And where can we follow all of this information online and on social media? So we are greenisthenewblack.asia and uh, our handle on Instagram is at G-I-T-N-B-Asia. Before we go into our final five, I just wanted to say thank you for tuning in. You know, being aware of all the issues that we have today can be really overwhelming, especially because there are no easy answers to a lot of the problems that we face. A lot of them are deep-rooted and systemic, not fully in our control, and that can also make us feel really helpless. But I want to acknowledge you for having the heart to care for your health, the health of everyone you love, and the health of our planet, and to let you know that every little thing you do really counts. So just keep at it. 
keep sharing what you're learning with people around you and I look forward to continually learning with you and supporting you with Green Dreamer Podcast. If you're looking for more eco and wellness inspirations beyond the podcast, you can also follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, that's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E, where I'll be sharing more of what I learn along the way, as well as regular reminders for us to recenter and take good care of ourselves. And for now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's one inspiring publication or social media account you follow? Mm. Uh, Live Kindly, I'm following at the moment. I've got a lot of respect for what they're building for the plant-based and vegan movement. Mm -hmm. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? Uh, I think I just remind myself sometimes, you know, to avoid the overwhelm that every little bit counts and matters and to never kind of underestimate the power of daily changes to make a big difference. Mm -hmm. What's one must do for your health, either daily or weekly? I got to be with nature at least once a week, you know, living in a big fast paced city. Uh, and I love getting on my mat and doing some yoga. Mm. What's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? Refuse anything that you don't need and say no to all single use items. Uh, what makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? Oh my gosh, the kids, man, <laughs> they get it so quickly and powerfully and they actually take massive action. It's crazy inspirational. Uh, and I think a huge wave of people who are waking up faster. It's good. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Every little green step makes a difference and let's celebrate the wins together because, you know, we have to be positive about this and together we can change the world. Together, we can change the world. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview in the show notes at greendreamer.com. You can reach me with feedback on what I can do to improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. That's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.